All right, well, if you will take your Bibles, open up to the book of Amos. We're going to continue on in chapter 7. We covered the first half of it last week. We're going to be in verses 10 through 17 uh, tonight. It's really just a great uh, section of Scripture, so excited to share it with you. So Amos chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. So let's begin by uh, reading the passage together. Amos 7.10, Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all of his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there do your prophesying. But no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal house. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore trees. But Yahweh took me from following the flock. And Yahweh said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. So now, hear the word of Yahweh you are saying. You shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you drip out words against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, Your wife will play the harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be divided up by a measuring line. And you yourself will die upon unclean land. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. This is certainly a confrontational uh, kind of section here, maybe a, a climax into the book of uh, Amos. So far, really, it's just been kind of one-sided. We've been hearing a lot of what Amos has been speaking and saying to the people and we have kind of known, generally speaking, that it's not being accepted. But this is really the first time that we hear some clear confrontation coming at Amos. And so it's really kind of an interesting, powerful, insightful little interlude into the book. And really this conversation between Amaziah, who is a priest of Bethel, which would have been an extremely important position during that day, and Amos. And the encounter, in a sense, comes together to form a test of assurance for Amos. Has he really been called of God or not? Is he going to continue to speak hard words to a hardened people or not? Now, we obviously know that he was called of God. He told us that from the very beginning. And, of course, the fact that his words are in Scripture assumes that. The Holy Spirit confirms Amos was called by God, but you have to realize during that day, there would have been a lot of question. Certainly, the entire nation of Israel seems to be questioning. Here is an authority figure questioning the priest in a religious sector. Also, the king himself seems to be questioning, and possibly, we don't know what was going on in the heart of Amos, but possibly at times he had some doubts. Is this really what I'm supposed to do? And so this really comes together to help us see, is Amos going to remain assured as he's being accused 
by this high priest of Israel? Would he remain faithful or not? And so here we have the idea of calling. We know that Amos started the race and he started strong, but would he continue? And this is like the part in the race where it gets tough. Now, the idea of calling is something that can be a little bit subjective, right? Am I called by God to preach the Word of God? Um, for Amos, am I called by God to prophesy? And in Amos's case, it was a vision. It tells us that in the very beginning of Amos, he received a vision from the Lord to go and prophesy pretty much against Israel, that judgment was coming. Um, and calling is something that comes up over and over and over again throughout the Bible and also throughout history. You take someone like Martin Luther, he had a calling sense because he was in a storm, there was a lightning bolt, he almost got struck, and all of a sudden he begins to realize, I think God is calling me away from being a lawyer and perhaps to go be, at that time, in the priesthood. And then the Lord calls him out of that and he has this sense of calling. And of course, I myself have had to deal with the idea, am I truly called of God or not? For some people, it is that bolt of lightning experience. And for others, like me, it's more of like a reluctant prophet. And it takes many years and a process of becoming assured that, yes, this is where God wants me to be. And even in the Bible, people struggle with this idea, am I truly called? Moses is one example. At the burning bush, Moses hears the audible voice of God. And God is calling Moses to lead his people. Listen to Moses' response, Exodus 3.11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? So you hear the audible voice of God, and Moses is basically talking back to God, disagreeing with God, saying, I think you got the wrong guy here. Who am I to do this? Or Jeremiah. No prophet. God's word comes to him, Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the innermost parts, I knew you. Before you came out of the womb, I set you apart, and I have given you as a prophet to the nations. Hey, I formed you. I knew you before you were even formed. I'm setting you apart. I've created you for this to go and prophesy to the nations. But here's how Jeremiah responds. Alas, Lord Yahweh, behold, I do not know how to speak. I am just a youth. Again, similar response. God, I know that you know all things, but you might have missed this. I'm just a youth. I can't do this. There's a lack of assurance. Timothy, same thing. Paul has to assure Timothy in 2 Timothy that he has truly been called. In fact, he reminds him um, of his faith first. Hey, I know you have faith, Timothy, uh, uh, your grandmother passed it down to you. I laid my hands on you. And then he says, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Therefore, he says, don't be ashamed. Why did he have to say that? Because he was ashamed. He was struggling with it. I, I don't know that I want to continue in this. He wasn't convinced was the idea. And so calling is something that people actually do struggle with. And listen to this. According to a Barna survey, as of March 2022, the percentage of pastors, so in our day and age, who have considered quitting full-time ministry within the past year, 2022, sits at 42%. 
This is up 13% from the time that Barna first reported on this kind of sharp increase in pastoral burnout. At that time, it was 29%. The reasons given for stepping away, stress, loneliness, political division, uh, some consider quit, uh, those who consider quitting, 56% listed the immense stress of the job, 43% said because they felt lonely and isolated, 38% spoke of a current climate of divisiveness, 29% ill effects that the position was having on their family, um, and another majority of them also listed a sense of feeling inadequate for the position. All of that, it only comes as a reality because these men were not assured. They were struggling with their calling. If you know for sure you are called, none of those things matter. It doesn't matter if you feel lonely. It doesn't matter if things seem to be having some ill effects on you or your health or whatever it may be. If God has called you, He's called you. And this is essentially what we're getting at when we come to Amos chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. Is he called or not? Now, some of you have just completely checked out because you're like, you know what? I'm not called to be a pastor. So this does not apply to me. But the reality is every Christian, and this was a part of the Puritan's theology, is called by God. Now, you remember in Ephesians 4, 1, Therefore I, Paul, prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling. He's talking to all of the Ephesians in the church of which you have been called. God has placed a call on your life to do a certain kind of ministry. You've been placed in the church. You have giftings that were specifically given to you to be used. There is a calling, and it's not always going to be easy. So in that sense, we all have a calling on our life. And in that sense, we must remain assured that Christ has saved us, bought us, and has sent us to do something for Him. So, how do we remain assured? How should a pastor remain assured? How did Amos remain assured? Here we have a picture, a portrait of a man of God who was faithful all the way to the end. And we have some tests that are given to him. Um, I believe at the end of that, I was like changing notes towards the very end of this, but six tests is what I have for us. The first test is this. If you remain faithful, God calls you, you're probably going to have a test of misrepresentation. You will be misrepresented at some point during your ministry if you are trying to remain faithful to speak the Word of God. This comes from verses 10 through 11. And by the way, I think all of these in one sense, I probably would have like thought, hey, this is not going to be any big deal. Um, but I will say the longer that I've been in ministry, all of these things are reality. And pretty much talk to any pastor who's been in for more than five years, and he will say the same thing. The test of misrepresentation, 10 and 11. Here it is. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, so, okay, this is behind-the-scenes conversation. Typically what we would call this is gossip. And here's what he says. Amos has conspired against you. That's not true. In the midst of the house of Israel, 
Amos is talking badly about you. The land is unable to endure all his words. All of us hate this. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. What's he doing? He's taking the message of Amos, and he's twisting it. He's taking the motive of Amos, and he's twisting it. And then he's giving this over to the king. He's saying, look at how evil this man is. If you care about reputation before the world, you will not continue walking with the Lord. Your reputation before the world will be trashed if you continue in faithfulness. Motives will be questioned. Your words will be twisted. In one sense, we had just found out in the previous verses this idea of the plumb line. You remember what the plumb line was? You're at the top of a wall and you drop a string with a weight on it, and this is what they used to see if the wall was actually vertical, straight up and down. Was it straight? And the Lord was saying, I have weighed Israel. They've been found wanting. And now, in one sense, the plumb line is being used on Amos. His words are being weighed or will be weighed, and he is being tested. He says, Amos has conspired against the king. This is not true at all. In fact, Amos loved the king. He loved Israel. This is why he was willing to say what was true. If you call someone to repent when they're going the wrong way, you actually do love them. In reality, Amos loved the king, and Amaziah hated him. But lies always flip the truth, and those who desire to lift themselves up will do so. Hard truths make easy targets for the worm tongues of the world. There are those who will take those speaking hard truths, they will twist it in order for themselves to gain a position. So Amaziah used Amos's willingness to say the truth that no one else would for his own advantage. He was misrepresented, his motives and his message. That's the first test. The second test is one of self-preservation. Amos 7.12 Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, go you seer, and flee away to the land of Judah, and there eat bread. You can do your prophesying there. What is he encouraging? He's encouraging self-interest. He's saying, listen, Amos, you're walking in really dangerous territory here. Let me give you an idea. Go somewhere else. Go where you can be accepted. Back to your hometown in Judah. You can prophesy there and probably nothing will happen. There will be plenty of bread. Relax. It will be great there. Go flee away from here. This is basically a Hebrew idiom, which essentially means flee for yourself. So in English, you might translate that, run for your life. Get out of here. You need to start thinking about yourself instead of everybody else, because clearly you're not thinking about yourself. This is selfish living that he's encouraging. Flee away to the land of Judah. Eat your bread. You'll have provision, everything that you need. Also, he's using two verbs here, go and flee. It seems like he wouldn't necessarily have to do that, but when these two verbs are put together... In the Hebrew Bible, essentially what they say is, or they're trying to emphasize hasty flight away from the presence of danger. 
So he is saying there is danger here that you need to get away from, which brings us to our third test, and that is the test of intimidation. All right, so we've tried this first test. We've misrepresented him. Now we've tried a second test, and, and let's just say, hey, you can get away to safety. Go ahead. Now another one, let's intimidate him. And by the way, you see all of this stuff going on in our culture all the time. If you got someone who says the truth, they're going to be misrepresented. They're going to be presented with a different, better option. And then they're going to be intimidated. It's the same thing going on. The test of intimidation. Verse 13, no longer prophesy at Bethel. It is a sanctuary of the king and a royal house. He's already said right before this, remember, hasty flight away from the presence of danger. There's danger here, so you need to get out of here. This is our house, our sanctuary, the king's, the royal house. He's laying it on thick. Amos, you're just a shepherd. What are you doing here? This is the king's royal house. Bethel, who do you think you are? You have no connections, no schooling, no learning, no expertise. You're entirely out of your league. This is intimidation, not just with danger, not just a threat, but also this is a favorite of our culture. I'm the expert. Listen, I'm the one that's had all the schooling here and written all the papers. Who are you? You've just got the Bible? This is expertise. This is titles, letters after the name. You're entirely out of your league. So he's been misrepresented. He's intimidated. He's encouraged to seek his own self-interest. Now, one thing we should say, we should not be surprised at this, because anyone who remains faithful to the truth will be tested. Let me give just a couple of examples. Acts 5, 27, something similar happened to Peter and the apostles. Read this. And when they had brought them, they stood before the Sanhedrin. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly commanded you not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. There's a certain amount of intimidation there, threats. Don't do that anymore. We shouldn't be surprised, 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. You shouldn't be surprised if you're ever misrepresented, if you're intimidated, any of these or tempted in some way. This is a test, a trial. But to the degree you are sharing the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Don't lose heart. So not only continue, but as you continue, you should have joy. Uh, don't lay these things on yourself as a burden. Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice in exaltation. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and God rests on you. You should be assured, is essentially what he's saying. If you keep going in the face of intimidation and testing, you know what this means? God's with you. You should be assured. 
Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Hey, there's sometimes when trials might come and that's your own fault. Don't do that. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be put to shame. They're going to try to put you to shame. You should not be. But it is to glorify God in His name. So Amos is being tested. Will he pass the test? There's another one here. The test of authority. Test of authority. Amos 7.14 Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore trees. That's, I mean, that's a funny answer in this situation. But Yahweh took me from following the flock, and Yahweh said to me, Grow and prophesy to my people Israel. His words can be summed up with these words, which if you pluck them out, you can get them. Not I. In other words, I didn't put myself in this position. Not I. The Lord. I didn't call myself. God called me. That's why he begins with this idea, listen, I was just minding my own business, hanging out with the sheep and the herdsmen and the sycamore figs. I didn't think this up, and God called me. What did you want me to do? Is essentially what he's saying. God spoke. He told me to go. Are you telling me that I shouldn't go? He's saying, listen, my authority doesn't come from Bethel. It doesn't come because my dad was a preacher. It doesn't come because I've got all this schooling and I've got the right teachers and I'm saying the right things. My authority comes straight from God. That's where my authority comes from. Where does yours come from? Is basically the idea here. He was saying, Amaziah, you have no authority to speak here. And Amos responds by saying, yes, I do. God is my authority and he's told me to speak. There's words of a higher authority. If you want to be assured in the face of accusations, you need to make sure that you have been actually called by God to say and do what you're doing. Which means you need to have a clear conscience before the Lord, and you need to make sure that you are speaking truth. Paul, of course, was accused all over his ministry, uh, but this is a, a favorite passage of mine, and I think should be a passage read by any pastor, anyone who claims to speak for the Lord. He says this, Let a man consider us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. You've got to be convinced of that. This is all I'm about. I'm just a steward of Christ. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. All I need to do, I don't need to worry about social media followings or doing this or that or going to the right school. I just need to be found faithful wherever the Lord puts me. To me, it's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Uh, what's he saying there? He's saying, I realize, I, I don't think there's anything that I can think of that I've done wrong, but my judgment of myself isn't even perfect. The one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, 
will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and make manifest the motives of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. How can he say that? Because his conscience was clear. His conscience was clear. And yet, he wasn't proud about that. He was actually saying it in a very humble way. Because what he was saying is, listen, my conscience is clear. But I know that I'm the chief of sinners. There might be something. And I thank the Lord that I've been called because He will redirect me in the right way. And one day, I know, this is the weight that's on me, I will stand before Him. That's the kind of authority you need to speak with every time you proclaim the Gospel. A clear conscience resting on God's authority. So there's the test of authority. Also, there's the test of calling, somewhat related in verses 14 through 15. Now, what... Amos is saying is that God has called me and I'm assured of this. You can look at 15. He says, Yahweh took me from following the flock. It's almost as if like, hey, I wanted to go this direction and God yanked me out and put me in a different way. He said, go. So I went. I didn't have a choice. This is the reason I am speaking words of judgment against Israel God took me, and he told me to go. I'm not here as a self-appointed prophet, is what he is saying. I'm not a prophet by nature. I didn't inherit this. This is God's plan. Why is this important? Self-appointed preachers and teachers and prophets can easily appoint themselves to a different ministry when it gets tough. And they will. They'll go find a different calling, one that's much easier, one where they won't be misrepresented, one where they can make more money, one where they're not as lonely, whatever it may be. If you're self-appointed, you will get out. But those who are actually called of God, God-appointed ministers cannot do any such thing. That would be the most terrifying thing in the world, to go against what God has asked you to do. You remember what Jesus said in John 10, 12? He said, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, a hireling, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters them because he is a hired hand. He is not concerned about the sheep. There are hirelings. There, there are men who are standing in the position. They have not actually been called of God. That being the case, they care nothing for the people of God. And as soon as the danger and the wolf comes, they flee. If you're actually called of God, you'll do no such thing. Phonies and cowards flee when things get tough. But those who are actually called stand firm because they stand with God. And so that's what Amos does, the test of calling. And then our last test is the test of faithfulness. I love this part. Amos 7:16. We've heard the intimidation, the temptations, all of these things, misrepresentation coming against Amos. How's he going to respond? So now hear the word of Yahweh. 
He's going to repeat back to them what you are saying. You are saying you shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you drip out words against the house of Isaac. You know what he's saying there? You're saying that I shouldn't say anything strongly, prophesying with all authority, and also you're saying I shouldn't even say it gently and let it drip out. Basically, I don't care, Amos, how you say your message, I don't want your message here. That's pretty applicable. In fact, I was listening to a news story today, a Canadian wedding venue, and a homosexual couple had booked it. I mean, these kind of things. How, how does this keep happening? But it keeps happening, okay? And they booked this wedding venue, and the owners had been talking back and forth with them for several months, polite conversations. Somewhere along the way, they, they find out, I guess, maybe, I don't, I don't know exactly how the timeline, it seems like they should have known this, but they find out that this isn't going to work, this is against my conviction. So the owner politely says, I will allow you to still get married here, but I just want you to know that my own convictions prevent me from being able to truly rejoice with you in this. I just want to be upfront about that. So, this couple plasters it all over Facebook, says how emotionally hurt that they've been from this person. Someone else reaches out and pays for their wedding at a different venue. It doesn't matter if you say the truth loudly or you say it softly. The truth will be rejected and you will be misrepresented either way. You might as well speak it boldly with love. And this is exactly what's going on here. I don't want you prophesying. I don't want the words dripping out. In the Hebrew, it has this idea of a gentle drip. I don't want any of it here. No more prophesying ever. So what's Amos' conclusion? How does he respond? He's not deterred in the least bit. Verse 17. <laughs> they just said, don't speak. And then here's what we have. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, I'm going to speak. Your wife will play the harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be divided up by the measuring line. You yourself will die upon unclean land. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. He just upped it. Everything that they had said to stop saying, he said it and more and with even more authority. God says this. Why did he say that? Because he had to. If God tells you to speak, you have to say it. I don't know if perhaps he was fearful of saying such things, if he didn't know what was going to happen in the future. It really didn't matter. There may be some fear when speaking from the Lord, but if you know the Lord told you to say it, you'll say it. Hebrews 11.28, speaking of Moses, who at one time was lacking of assurance, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the rage of the king. He endured as seeing him who is unseen. Moses came to understand, if God tells me to do something, I've got to do it. This is the key. Do you fear God or do you fear man? Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And actually, by way of conclusion, I want you to turn to that passage because there's a lot there. 
that is extremely helpful when it comes to this. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 24. This idea of suffering and remaining faithful comes up quite often in Jesus' ministry, comes up in the epistles, it is all throughout the Bible. And here Jesus is telling us how we can remain faithful. It says in Matthew 10, 24, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. So he's talking about us. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? What is that? He's saying you're going to be misrepresented. Therefore, do not fear them. I've already told you. There's nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops, regardless of what they do. Do not fear those who kill the body or are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for an Assyrian? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. These kind of verses have to be in your head when there is intimidation. Listen, whatever they do, I know this. God cares for me, and not one hair will be plucked out apart from His sovereign will. Do not fear. You are more valuable than the sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Promises. This is a promise of denial and a promise of affirmation. Who do you fear? Do you fear God, or do you fear man? We'll close with the words of Martin Luther being asked to recant his 95 Theses before the authorities of his day. He responded, My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant, because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand. I can do no other. God, help me, and He will help those who stand with Him. Pray with me. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your promises. We know that You will be faithful and true. Whatever You call us to do, You will certainly equip us to do. You will stand beside us faithfully as we stand before You. We have no idea what the future holds, but we don't have to know. Because we know that you will be with us. Lord, help us to cherish your words, to remember your words, to walk according to your words. And Father, I pray that we would all be bold and loving with the truth that you have called us to proclaim. Assure us of what you have called us to do. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.